Alright, this is Behind the Exploratory Lessons, episode number 7. It's going to be a much shorter episode because there's no guests. It's just going to be some story time with me. Because, of course, when there's no guest around, I like to tell some stories then and there. But keep it short because when it comes to those guests that I have, those are the ones that warrant longer episodes. So it's going to be a short-form episode, but we do have some stuff to talk about. There's never short of topics to discuss. I even have a piece of paper of random topics that I'll discuss throughout the series. And I have one in particular that's going to carry over to this episode and in the next episode because it's an anniversary. There are two anniversaries. One involving half a decade and the other one a decade ago. And it makes me old as much as the soy milk can be sometimes. But first things first, let's talk about the Billboard Hot 100 because we have another new number one song. No, it's not brand new, but it's a different number one song compared to last week. I already said it. I refuse to listen to anything that fruitcake idiot puts out. It's garbage. It's a disgrace. And what makes it funny is that it's no longer number one. It's nowhere near the top ten at all. Laughing out like good old Jonah Jameson in Spider-Man 2 because that's how I feel about it. Because Rockstar is back to the number one spot. I just find it as an average song. It's not the worst one out there. It's just a prototypical average song. The beats does bring that 2000s vibe. Like the good old R&B Cisco days. At least they have that going. So I can live with this one. It's better than that song Trolls number one. I tell you what. It's funny ridiculous how... Certain songs can hit number one, and then at one point or another, very few will tank so horribly down the charts. It reminds me of Harlem Shake, where it had tremendous build, it got popularity, it grew big and big and big. You've seen it all all YouTube, those high school videos, where they have somebody doing something, and then boom! As soon as they say, do the Harlem Shake, you got a bunch of yahoos dancing around or whatever the hell they're doing. Jimmy Johnson did it before, I know my high school did it once. But as soon as it hit number one, it completely tanked and collapsed, and the novelty became a fad as it can ever be one. The Harlem Shake is a massive fad. It's one of those few that just had a poorly aged shelf life. Gangnam Style at least had some shelf life, as some sort of a legacy. Harlem Shake, not so much. It was just it came and went it's like a blip. And I view that stupid song Trolls being one. It just arrived and it disappears, nowhere near the top 10. It fell out completely. And it makes me wonder, can this year get any more bizarre when it comes to the Billboard Hot 100? I don't know. I've already said it's so hot potato that we can see 30, 35 number one songs. I don't think we reached 30 because we're now at the halfway point of 2020. And believe it or not, we are at the halfway point of 2020. It doesn't feel like halfway. We kind of wish it's already the end of 2020, but we still have another six months to endure, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a bumpy ride, but best sure. The show's going to get better and better with multiple guests along the way. Now that we've talked about music, let's talk about Ellensburg for a bit. Finally, I can happily say I got photo works. I done some photography because I said to myself, if we're going to go to Ellensburg for one day, I'm bringing my camera. Well, I had no other choice because I had to take photos of my brother's graduation stuff since he graduated from Central Washington a couple weeks ago with his cap and gown and all. He wanted to take pictures of him, so I decided, well... It's something i rather shoot photos of drivers or cars or models, but at least it's something to keep my career a little bit alive right now. IndyCar is going to be the championship trail because at the very least, Road America and Iowa, both doubleheader races, are going to have crowds. So there's that. The Indianapolis 500 will only allow 50% capacity. 
at most. And yeah, there's still some concerns about that as well. But we're not going to talk about the pandemic right now. We're not going to talk about Indy. Let's go back to Ellensburg. It was a weird Friday. Because I brought my camera and then I noticed on my way past exit 28, before the Soquami Pass, and it's well past Issaquah, where I saw some smoke. It was Well, first off, there was some traffic, and I was thinking, well, traffic, big deal, big whoop, whatever. And then I noticed there was a van smoking, like fire or something, and I saw a group of people out there. It's like, was there an accident, like a big grave one? Then I saw there were like six or seven people out there disappointed and all that and upsetting. And then I noticed that it, the van was burning. It was literally burning. It was like, well, get the camera, shoot photos, because it's probably the most action I'll get in a while. It's the most action I've seen since Daytona back in February. The car was on fire. Problem is, I use a lens on a camera that doesn't com it isn't necessarily compatible, but it's going to make the picture much larger. So there's a little box on the camera lens that tells you what it's going to shoot. It's not going to shoot the whole thing that you see on the lens. It's going to have a square box. And it took me a bit to finally figure that out. It shows you how much rust I've had in the photography field. But I saw the van on fire. And I noticed the left front was completely scorched. I saw that tire being blown up. It was flaming pretty bad. And I took a photo of it. It's like, well, not that bad. I wish it was not under those circumstances that, that I see some sort of action. Fortunately, it looked like everyone was okay. I, heard, I haven't heard anything serious other than just the van. They just lost it. It's just gone it's completely burnt up a lot of fire especially on the rim of the left front tire of the saturn we move on and then it was nice and windy and i noticed ellensburg because this is the thing about the state of washington they're mandating masks for outside and public places and also at like restaurants and bars if i recall you're allowed to eat so you can move your mask up to eat but other than that you have to wear it on elsewhere and i didn't see many people wearing the mask in ellensburg i view it two ways reckless or they're just unsure or unaware because there's no in between honestly you're either reckless or you want to make sure you get things back to normal. Otherwise, we're going to have more problems and we're going to be back to square one like we were in March. Only very few I saw. There was a peaceful rally. You know, what's going on in the past month with the Black Lives Matter. I saw a couple of those on the corner block. At least some of them were wearing masks, so I, I can live with that. Took photos of it that weren't that great because it was just at a sudden. I was in the van. I was like, could not go out of the van just to shoot photos because then I, then people would view it as a disturbing the peace. I'm here to take photos or whatever I can find, considering it was the first day that they state-mandated masks in public capacities. So finally, after my brother finally cleaned up his apartment, we finally took the photos. I was actually impressed how they turned out. I'm more impressed that my brother actually enjoyed the photos that I took. But one problem, and I make this, I'm going to make this very clear when it comes to any of my photography or video. If I see you dabbing, and if you dab directly towards me, you're going to be fined $100. It's an inside joke with my other job in the game production at a local arena in Everett where we do hockey. Where as soon as we see that dreaded pose, we cut to the next shot. I never tolerated to begin with when Austin Dillon does it, especially when he won the Daytona 5 round. I thought it was a disgrace. It was a spit of the integrity of the sport. It's a slap in the face in my book. It reminds me of the days when Soulja Boy ruined the music industry. The ringtone pop artists ruined it. Nearly killed the entire industry back in 07, 08. That's what it reminds me. It just, it's just rubs me the wrong way very badly and I cannot stand it. So he'll owe me $100. I'm going to make sure he does pay me the $100. He said he'll pay me regardless for shooting the photos that he actually really enjoyed. So at least I'll get some sort of money out of it. Hopefully sooner than later. And 
yeah, that's how my day in Ellensburg went. Saw some weird stuff, some reckless stuff. I saw some misfortune and also photos of my brother graduating college. And hopefully sooner than later, his attitude changes. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Indianapolis. We're supposed to have this historic, never-before-seen Indianapolis doubleheader with IndyCar and NASCAR for the first time hosting a major event. It has happened before. But when it comes to the NASCAR setters, it was just the Truck Series and the Bush Series, with IRL being the main bill. This time around, it's a co-headliner, with the IndyCar having their second round of the championship trail at the Indianapolis Road Course, the GMR Grand Prix, for their first of two stops on the road course, the first of three at the circuit itself in Indianapolis in Indiana. NASCAR, the Xfinity Series, are going to run the road course for the first time as they're running at the Pensoil 150. No, Tony Stewart will not be running it. He already announced almost a month ago he'll no longer run it. He doesn't see the point of racing when there's no crowds. So he's out of the equation. Matt DiBettinetto, who tested an Xfinity Penske car, is not allowed to run due to that. He took, he participated to get a good feel how the road course is. A couple of the four guys I've already discussed with DiBettinetto, notably Chase Briscoe, who won the Pocono race this past Sunday for his fourth Xfinity win. And as far as the Cup Series is concerned, it's going to be the Brickyard 400. And to my knowledge, it just dawned on me when I was working on my Motorsports Tribune preview of the Grand Prix of Indianapolis. I want to believe that this year, 2020, is going to be the first time that open-wheel racing do not host the first oval race. Remember, IndyCar and the Xfinity Series are running the road course. The Cup Series are running the 2.5-mile oval. In the history of the Indianapolis Ford Speedway, the 500, the Indianapolis 500 has always been the first professional major automobile race to be run at the 2.5 mile circuit. The Brickyard 400 in 2020 will be the first to hit the oval on a professional level. Since there's no Freedom 100 with any lights out of the equation, it's just only the Brickyard and the 500 being the only oval event. Of course, the road course will have one more round of IndyCar. That will be the penultimate race in October 3rd on a Saturday. Fun birthday weekend. I hope to go and hopefully they'll still allow crowds considering how... Well, first and foremost, we got to know how this goes. The 500 with 50% capacity. A lot can change in the next couple months. So we're looking at August and October being the big ones for Indiana and the state of IndyCar. And not just that with IndyCar, this race, this Saturday, noon Eastern on NBC. NBC, the big boy station, by the way. You got to think about this. This race, this Grand Prix, the first of five races in a span of three weeks at three different venues. We have the Grand Prix this weekend. Then next week is the doubleheader of Road America. And then the week after is the doubleheader of Iowa. So here you have it, five races Across three different tracks in a span of three weeks. This is going to be the most grueling month for this championship trail that will separate the contenders from the pretenders. You do not want to have a bad race in that span. You don't want to have a series of bad races. Those who do well in that five race span, you got to look at them as championship favorites. Right now, Scott Dixon, if what we saw at Texas is an example of how Michael Cannon and Dixon will work together. And of course, you have Mike Hall in command. You're looking at Scott Dixon being the championship favorite and running away with this. Time will tell, of course, because we got to see what happens Saturday. So if those interested in tuning in, keep an eye on that race and how those drivers do because they could be contenders in October for that championship and also for the Harvest Grand Prix. At the end of the day, I get the TV marketing, but to promote it is historic, doubleheader, and it adds salt to the wound that the crowd won't be there at all. I understand why they're doing it, to bring more people to watch, I don't know how the numbers are going to do, if it's going to do fine or it's going to suffer. Because 
Some people are, and I know people are very disgruntled about not having the Grand Prix. Albeit July 4th, and the reason why they moved the Brickyard from July to September in the first place is not just because of the weather, but also the crowd interest. So who knows how many people would have actually showed up for the Grand Prix, the Xfinity race, and the Brickyard. Who knows how that would have turned out. It's still disappointing. I would love to be there. I guess we we'll have to look at Road America, and I don't even know how Road America looks like right now. There's no info as far as the media side of things or the photography aspects as far as Road America and Iowa, much less the all-star race at Bristol. After a Friday shooting photos, feel like I got some of my best scenic photos and also done an excellent photo shoot with my brother when it comes to his graduation stuff. I got to keep getting more momentum, more confidence. The more stuff I do, the more confidence I have and the more happy I am. And I feel like my works could be at its pinnacle, if you ask me. So we'll see how next week goes. And hopefully I know anything about Road America or Iowa or Bristol. Otherwise, it's off to Indianapolis for the 500. It's going to make it more enduringly longer and hopefully more worth it. But I'm not too crazy about this weekend because of that. Knowing that we should be there. So let's talk about... My last topic I want to talk about is pretty much the main build, the main event of this episode and next week. I want to talk about a good familiar place I went a decade ago for the first time and last visited a half decade ago. And something that I still feel like I got a lot to prove. I got more to showcase for that wonderful venue. And that is, of course, the Sisyphus Learning Center known as the Mount Triumph Leadership Camp. Because back in 2010, yes, 2010, a decade ago, July 6th through the 11th, I went to Mount Triumph for the first time as a delegate. I went there for two years. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about my delegate years. Next week, I'll discuss about my junior counselor years from 2013 to 2015. So to put it this way, it's been a half a decade ago, almost, since I last went to Mount Triumph. It's been a decade ago since I went there for the first time. I like how stuff like that works out. And I was there in a grand total of five years. A lot has happened since that time period. A lot happened before then. So let's go down to 2010 to 2011. When I was offered an invitation to go to Mount Triumph back at the tail end of freshman year of high school. Because I was going to be the class president going to my second year in the 2010-2011 school year. Which played a significant role of who I am today. And honestly that was the breakthrough year. Because back in the day, back in the, that time period before... Sophomore year of high school, I was just basically the student that talked to the staff members and nobody else. I didn't talk to my peers. I wasn't going out of my way either to say, hello, how are you? And just do the best I can. I was such a moron in high in middle school. Freshman year, it was probably my best academic year I've ever had. All things considered because I had a 4.0 both semesters and somehow I made that work. I was slowly building a name, but deep down inside... When I decided to be the class officer, for class president for that matter, I did it out of spite and revenge. But after I got the role for the sophomore year, then I got invited for this thing. It's like, oh, a camp. I'd never been to any form of a camp ever in my life at that point. I'd never been to a camp. Ever. Not once. Not with a family, not an establishment. Never had I been in some sort of camp in my life. So I decided, well, okay, let's see if my parents are okay with it. They were, and for the first time ever, I went to some sort of camp. I overpacked. 
I overpacked like nobody else's business. I brought this large bag. You, you know how the how those mountain hiking trips and the, and the war stores, they bring those large backpacks. You overpack. That's well, That was me. I had to literally, I don't, I don't even recall having an easy time carrying that thing. I was standing like a stick. You know the stick from uh, the box life? That was me. What would that be a heavy load? I put it in my bag, and as I was walking like a stick, I arrived to Sisbeth, the, the glory road of all glory roads, the happiest place on earth. At the time, I didn't view it that way. I was just like, okay, camp, a lot of people out there that I don't know. Got to be with a group of people. I was the only sophomore from the from Granite Falls High School. I was only the only sophomore. The only sophomore. I was the youngest of the bunch. I was surrounded by essentially four-fifths of them being the class of 2011, and there was only one class of 2013 member, and that was myself. I walked like a stick. I literally looked like a fool. I didn't thought twice about it. And I think if I remember, I had to sit down on the ground to put the backpack, the large load, behind me, and then I had to get up. And then one of them noticed that. And if I recall correctly, yeah, my senior counselor noticed that. And his name was Andrew. He noticed... That, and when I got the letter from him at the very end of camp, that was the first thing he noticed. It was just, he knew from that point on, he knew he, that he was probably going to get along with me just fine. It's kind of funny looking back at it. I still have all the notes and letters from all the five years that I went there. Maybe one day I'll share it. I don't know. I have, I don't know what to do with it. I want to do a collage or put it as part of my memoir that I've been saying I'm going to try to get established a couple years ago. and still haven't. Because there's still some stories I have to tell. There's still some stories to prove. And there's still some goals that I want to make happen before I say to myself, okay, I'm ready to discuss about that portion of my life and how I got there and what led to this, what I'd like to say, journey. The journey, journeyman journalist individual that I am. So yeah, a couple days went by. I slowly talked to a couple people. You always have your camp crushes. I had one. Fortunately, we were able to talk. I think it was like until the fourth or fifth day. We finally have. Because here's the thing about breakfast, lunch, and dinner at camp. If the memory serves correctly. It's a randomizer. You had, you know, Some days you'll have a number. Some days you have a base out of a card or a color. That you whatever you have, you sit in that table. And it's part of like mingling and breaking the ice. And also get rid of that cool card. It was interesting to say the least. And then it wasn't until. What was it? The third or fourth day. Where I had. I was involved in a presentation. I still have the letter. I confused it with another one from a year later. I still don't know where that one is. I took a picture of it. I don't know if I saved it on my hard drive. The laptop. It was on my older phone that I still missed. I prefer the older. The last phone I had. Compared to the current one, which is a massive piece of turd to begin with. And my old Kobe Bryant notebook, which I, fi- I found during when we were cleaning the house. Trying to figure out what stuff I'm going to bring in my room and put it in my bookcase. I noticed the Kobe Bryant notebook. It's like, oh, Kobe Bryant notebook. I opened it up and then I read it. It's like, oh, it's my camp stuff. I took notes of this thing. Well then, there's only two or three pages written. That's it. Nothing has been written since a decade ago. I don't know, I have I have a bunch of notebooks that I have written stuff, but I never made most of it after the fact. But it was great looking at it. I was, oh, this is not the 2011 speech. This is the 2010 one where I discuss about my religion, how 
that played a role in why I don't like talking to people because I was at that time and I I felt like if I say my religion or they know my religion they're gonna heavily judge me. I gave that up after 2011 when I went on this big tremendous speech where I said there's so many things that led to me quitting discerning clubs, religion being a role. And even the question, I remember one time, I remember one time I even put this on. Somebody questioned me as to why I never talk about it or what my religion is. I pointed it out that that rubbed me the wrong way horrendously at the time. And then once I said what I said, something just light bulbs went on that I, I realized my journey has some value that maybe will serve others better. That yes, I said this. But I won't let it define me. Whether it's the autism, whether it's the religion, or just the past, just the struggles that I've had, there's some value. And I, when I tell these stories, I my my number one goal that I hope from others is they take away something valuable and adapt it for the greater good of their own lives, and maybe be more open and stand up for what they believe in. Sure. Now, fast forward to 2020, hardly anybody cares what I say on social media. But back in the day, I think it's because they were more open to hearing and now if you say something they may rub people the wrong way horrendously and that's been part of life and it's just this year alone has been the more frustrating part that nobody's being willing to be open back in the day they used to be and that's just in the world in general you have your faces people will have a moment of faces where they don't want to hear that they don't want to agree with you even though some words from others are correct they just want to think about something else escape the hell, escape the madness that this is just, this year has been defined as. Just hell and frustration. And it tells you how much 2010 was a much simpler time. But once I open up about my religion, and then in 2011 open up like that a little bit more, and also my autism, that's when I became more open and more easy to open the doors, open the gates to know me, for them to know me more. And allow myself to know them better. And it's just laid the foundation of a great time period that I had in my life. Through the man in the mirror, through the assemblies, and the skits. I, I, let me tell you this. If it wasn't for that speech that I said in 2010, I would have never had the audacity to do those weird garbage impersonations. 2010-2011 was my pinnacle year when it comes to impersonations. Because I didn't hit. My voice wasn't fully developed. And I could still do some different voices like a George Lopez. Uh, Steve Irwin, a Kanye West, and I would make it punny. I think it would puns. I use some puns. I try to say stuff, and then it led to something else. It was out of. I jot down some notes. It was that random stuff, and I just made it work based on the impersonate character or human being that I'm impersonating. Like with Steve Irwin, it was about gators. Um, like gators, like what gators? Like the alligators, Florida gators, Gatorade. I mixed all of those up. Maybe one day I'll share it because I don't even know if that video exists. It was up on Facebook a decade ago. I haven't had the best of luck finding it since then. And then I just ran with the impersonation stick. I did it again at the leadership retreat. I did it at the talent show. No script either. They told me, one person told me to use, to, to write a script, and I was like. I'm going to do this with a damn scram. I'm going to do it because I know what I'm going to say. And then people loved it. Then came Idaho in 2013 and that pretty much ended my comedic career because I decided to make everything about wrestling. I had a great time at camp. And I thought to myself, 
I gotta come back in 2011. I I hope somehow, someway I'll be back in 2011. It was a good starting point. In 2011, it was a weird time period as well because I was not the only one from my grade anymore. We had a couple peop- more people from my grade level. Now I was entering junior year. And then a couple of the senior class to 2012, there was a lot of ego. There was a lot of ego. It was a problem. And when I talked to SC Jason about it, there were two Jasons. We talked about it a couple years later. And I, as far as what was the problem with my group, in 2011, and then he told me very bluntly, the problem was there were just, just a lot of chemistry issues, and I knew there were a lot of chemistry issues. I could I could have easily told you the class of 2012 had chemistry issues where they were thinking about themselves. They were very egotistical. They did not want to listen to other people's value that may work or might be interesting. They just didn't. There was two in particular that I don't speak to for that reason because I was thinking to myself, this will be a great idea, or let me run the ball. They put me in the box. It wasn't. It was more after that. So it told. It told me, they didn't learn nothing about teamwork. They didn't learn nothing from camp in 2011, which is a shame. Some did it out of necessity. Some because they were appointed officer. One of them unfortunately got let go of the officer role. 2011 was a weird time period. Because by that point, I was starting to talk to more people. But the the people that I got along with the most have graduated. They were all in the 2011 crop. So I had to start all over. But that was where more I just I was more open to do more things. And I was by that point on, 2011 was when I decided, you know, I'm not gonna let this Asperger or autism define me anymore. I'm not gonna let it bother me. So I decided to write this long letter for the diversity assembly. In my opinion, the greatest group I've ever worked with. Of course, with the exception of the junior counselors. Of course, there will always be my best group of work. And of course, the Motorsports Tribune staff, Joey and Dave. and Of course, I can't discredit them as well. But besides those two entities, my favorite group that I ever worked with, without the shadow of a doubt, was the Diversity Assembly Group of 2011. All of them doing many great things. A lot of them are. And I'm, ha- I'm very happy that they're doing well. They're enjoying their lives. I don't know what, I don't know what clicked. But this group, this amazing group, we just had a lot of group of people and then we decided to put this magical assembly and it was, it was like one of those things where it just naturally became a magical ride, a positive experience that I was very happy and content with that I look back like, man, those, I don't know what it was, but we, we did it. We've got the job done. It was an interesting time period. And once I discussed about that, it hit me. It didn't hit me until the crowd were open. They listened to what I said and understood what I went through. And then after that, I said, you know, for this kid that used to be shy and only talk to staff members, I come a long way in the span of a year. What a year it made. What a difference a year can make. And then from that point on, I was more open to someday. And I still feel this way someday. One of these days, I'd like to do more and contribute and help make help those delegates out to enjoy the, the Sisyphus magic like I did in those two years as a delegate. And when I talk about next time, how much I cherished the, the three years that I had as a junior counselor because I felt that was the legacy that I wanted to leave is to make a difference of other people, make them learn, have them realize that it's going to be okay 
Don't let certain things define you. Go where your heart is. And that's going to be my closure. Go where your heart is. Because for things to get better, you got to trust your own instinct. And when you're ready to open up on some things that has bothered you. And, and even try to define you. Don't let it define you. Break the barrier. Break the ice. Rip the cool card. And people will listen. Someone will hear you. Lend them an ear. Have them, have them sit down to listen to you. Because that's what Montreal meant to me. And it still does. Half a decade later since my last tenure. Even a decade later. How far I've come because of that place. And it's very unfortunate that in 2020. There's no Sismus magic because of the pandemic. So I feel like in spirit I want to talk about that time period. And one more thing before I forget about 2011. It was, it was very compelling. It was very compelling. And I hope one day I can bring a couple of the CISPA staff members, the Mount Tribe folks, on my show to discuss about this kind of stuff. Because, like I said many times, I started with the racing topic. Well, for, well technically it was music, but I'm more than just a motorsports journalist. I'm more than just auto racing, period. I want to make this a diverse show to make my mark diverse than the other stuff out there that are involved in the world of motor racing. I want to make it different. And this is what I meant by it, and I'll continue to stand by it. We have a lot of stories. All of us have stories. So, that being said, until we meet again, 2011 was a fun time period. It made me learn more about teamwork and trusting others. Sure, trust is still something I'm working on, but at the very least, Understanding the trust system began at Mount Triumph, and I still try to make things work in any aspects of what I do. Behind the exploratory lenses on Facebook, Twitter at the LT Files, Instagram Luis D Torres 94, L U I S D S and David T O R R E S 94, and of course, you can find Behind the Exploratory Lenses on Google, Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So that'll do it with this episode. Have a safe Independence Day weekend. Stay home if you have to. Please use your head. And just think. And go where your heart is.